All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Everywhere I travel around the world, I have the privilege of seeing signs of that kingdom, signs of the gospel bearing fruit and growing, and often in the most unlikely places. We're going to watch a short video which talks about a church in one of the largest slums in Nairobi, in Kenya, and what they've been up to in bringing in the kingdom in their situation. We are not going to condemn them. HIV is like any other disease. I'm here at a church in Conagocho where every Sunday about 200 people meet. But the interesting thing about this church is that on the back of it, it has an HIV testing and counselling centre. Those who come to the centre know that they're in a safe place where they can not only get a free HIV test, but also counselling and acceptance regardless of the result. Wow! There are many ways the churches here reach out to their community. This Christian drama group are taking their message to the streets with a play they've written about how the HIV virus is spread. It gives them the chance to share their faith with other young people and encourage them to make choices that will help stop the spread of HIV in the future. Out of what we are doing through the the HIV and the VCT services, I would see that really the church has also grown. Now the community, they are feeling this is the right church where to belong to. And besides being tested, they are receiving spiritual encouragement. If the church can accept them, it means also God has accepted them. This is a thriving church full of women who rearrange the seating according to whether they are worshipping or making soap for their small business enterprise. Lucy's husband died a few years ago. This great missionary book that tells the story of the explosion of the gospel and the kingdom into Jewish and then Gentile life 2,000 years ago. But the church is growing today as well. The kingdom of God is growing. Just last night I had this uh, photograph come through from uh, Danny Karanji in Serbia uh, showing uh, uh, one of 11 people that they baptized just uh, this last week that have come through their rehabilitation uh, center. Danny and Vera came and led our, our church weekend a few weeks back. And the church there in Novisad in Serbia growing and exploding, a movement that continues to expand to this day with four times as many Christians alive today as there were in 1900, and the Pentecostal movement having grown from 98,000 believers at the beginning of the 20th century to having over 600 million members in 2010. Most of this global gospel advance is happening in the South and the East, in China, Latin America, and Africa. By 2025, for instance, there will be more Christians in Brazil and Mexico than in the whole of the United States and Europe. We serve a great God whose kingdom is growing as it did back here in Acts and chapter 4. 
Wouldn't you have loved to have been around when Paul and Peter and those early disciples had as their daily experience that many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000? Those were great days. Days when many people were being healed. People were hearing the gospel for the first time. And when many were being added to the number of believers every day. It's a great missionary story. But what's its relevance today? I want to argue, in fact, that the whole Bible, not only Acts, is a missionary book. A book revealed by a missionary God who creates and calls a people to participate in God's mission to the nations. A missionary God who calls us today to be part of his mission, as he did Paul, of whom Luke states at the end of Acts, boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, throughout Acts, the apostles taught about the kingdom of God whenever they had the opportunity. In Acts 8.12, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts 19.8, Paul entered the, king, the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. And Acts 28, 23, from morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. In doing this, in preaching about the kingdom of God, they were following the example of Jesus. In fact, God's kingdom is mentioned over a hundred times throughout the four Gospels and more than 25 times throughout the rest of the New Testament. It's what Jesus talked about all the time. It's what he demonstrated all the time, the coming of the kingdom of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. To express it simply, the kingdom is where the king is. So early in the Gospels, the news is announced. The kingdom of God is near you. The kingdom of God was near because the King, Jesus, was near. Today I'm going to be asking three questions about that kingdom of God that exploded onto the scene in the Gospels and through Acts. How did the kingdom arrive? What is the kingdom like? And how do we put the kingdom into practice? Firstly, I want to take us back to the beginning of Scripture to see that this very moment, this arrival of the kingdom ushered in by Jesus was part of God's master missional plan to rescue the world from the very beginning of time. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a response to the situation on the hoof. But rather, this dawning of the kingdom in Jesus at this very time in history was part of the revelation of God's kingdom, his desire to see everyone in relationship to himself right from the start of the time. You see, he was the king from the beginning. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, said the psalmist. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. And again, the Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. But for a time, God became uh, focused down on the people of Israel. 
and is acknowledged only in the Scriptures as the King only of Israel, the chosen people, the holy nation, a nation set apart for God. God says of Israel, you will be for me a kingdom. This kingdom that started off as massive dominion of the whole earth gets focused down on the kingdom of priests and a holy nation in Israel. But even during that time, as God focuses in on Israel, he remains a missionary God so that all the kingdoms on earth may know of his glory. When the Israelites were up against the king of Assyria, they said, Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, that is, the king of Assyria, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Even then, the Israelites recognized Yahweh as the owner of everything. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You're exalted as head over all. But the Israelites also understood that there was a greater kingdom yet to come. A kingdom of peace and justice and compassion that mirrored God's likeness. A kingdom reign and rule that would establish the character of God on all people. Listen to the prophet Isaiah foretelling the birth of Jesus, of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. He, Jesus, will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And then listen to Daniel in the Old Testament prophesying about this future coming kingdom. In the, the, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. And again from Daniel, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And then, 2,000 years ago, Jesus comes on the scene, preaching that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom has arrived. The rule of God is here. The reign of God is here. It's here now. It's arrived when the time had fully come. God sent His Son, Jesus. How the Jews must have had echoing in their ears the words of Daniel and Isaiah and the psalmist. God's rule, God's reign was finally being established. It was imminent. It was immediate. It was walking the highways and byways of Galilee. This kingdom that was going to turn everything upside down. This eternal kingdom, this rule of God that would bring justice, compassion, righteousness, glory, power, Mercy, love, walking amongst them, present here, in Jesus, now. But before we get too excited and move on to see what this kingdom that Jesus, Jesus ushered in was like, we have to pause. Pause and see where we fit in. We live in an interesting age. An age where the kingdom of God has arrived in Jesus, but is not fully here yet. 
An age stuck in the gap between the now and the not yet. An age that is a little like the dawning of a day. We know that the night is over, but the day hasn't fully arrived yet. A day when the kingdom has a present reality, but it also has a future perspective. And so we live in an age that is marked by violence and turmoil, sickness and disease, death and hospitals, bombs and wheelchairs, abuse and poverty, inequality and injustice. And so we know the kingdom's not fully here yet. An age marked by strife and trouble, drugs and alcohol, bankers' bonuses and sex abuse of children. And so we know the kingdom's not fully here yet. An age marked by floods in Pakistan, famine in Niger, a devastating earthquake in Haiti. And so we know the kingdom's not fully here Yet, where the poor are becoming poorer and the rich consume the world's resources as if there is no tomorrow. And so we know the kingdom's not fully here yet. And there is a longing in us, a longing that cries out no more pain, no more injustice, no more abuse, no more. No more religiosity, no more poverty, no more floods or earthquakes or famines, no more. A longing that cries out, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come in the war zones and to the lonely. Your kingdom come on London Road in Ipswich on my street. Your kingdom come to the prostitute and the paedophile and to the criminal. Your kingdom come to the drug addict, the shop worker and the executive. Your kingdom come in our government, in our schools, and in our workplaces. Your kingdom come in our police force, in the army, and in the prisons. Your kingdom come, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. What is that kingdom like? What's the kingdom like when it comes? What is it like when God's eternal rule breaks into our lives, our communities, our nation, and our world? Well, let's look at the, the supreme example in Jesus. Jesus who set the pattern for the early church in Acts and who sets the pattern for us now. According to Jesus, the kingdom of God is like many things. A farmer sowing seed. A man hunting treasure. A woman kneading dough. Fishermen casting their nets. A man forgiven a debt. A wedding guest who forgot his jacket. Virgins waiting for a bridegroom. A landowner being generous. The kingdom is like a seed, a pearl, a banquet, a vineyard, yeast. It's random, hidden, surprising, disruptive, and unexpected. It begins so small that it could go unnoticed. It's something you receive, enter, cultivate, seek, lay hold of. Not something you grow, advance, or build. You wait for it. Prepare for it. Stay ready for it. It's something of great value and something you need to discover. It blows up the status quo, reverses values, turns expectations on their head. It's a celebration. It's a party. It's a feast. And you're invited to attend and to bring other people With you. The kingdom is for the poor, the oppressed, the children, your family, your neighbor, your community, your town, your country, 
for the world. It's for the outcasts, for the uninvited, for the naive, for the hopeless, for the helpless. The kingdom is for you. To quote Bono of you too, just as God was working out redemptive history at the cross, God is also in the slums, in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is in the silence of a mother who has infected her child with a virus that will end both their lives. God is in the cries unheard, heard under the rubble of war. God is in the debris of wasted opportunity and lives. And God is with us if we are with them. You see, when the kingdom comes, town pastors care for drunken use on a Friday night. When the kingdom comes, people start praying 24 by 7. When the kingdom comes, children start living for Christ. When the kingdom comes, people get visions of women's refuge centers, open door lunches, and reaching our community. When the kingdom comes, people are healed physically and emotionally. People find their true worth and gifting. When the kingdom comes, people are attracted to the community of believers and many are added to their number every day. When the kingdom comes, King Jesus is exalted and lifted high and many come to true repentance and belief as though they understand the message of the cross. When the kingdom comes, compassion flows, injustice is tackled, self becomes selfless, HIV is no more, everyone has access to clean water, Everyone can walk the streets in safety at night. And the marginalised are marginalised no more. Sometimes, even football fans cheer for the opposing team. I love this story that I read in a magazine. They played the oddest game in high school football history last month down in Grapevine, Texas. It was Grapevine Faith versus Gainesville State School. And everything about it was upside down. For instance, when Gainesville came out to take the field, the grapevine faith fans made a 40-yard welcome line for them to run through. Did you hear that? The other team's fans. They even made a barrier, a banner for players to crash through at the end. It said, go Gainesville! It was rivers running uphill and cats petting dogs. More than 200 grapevine faith fans sat on the Gainesville side and kept cheering the Gainesville players on by name. And even though Faith walloped them 33-14, the Gainesville kids were so happy after the game, they gave head coach Mark Williams a sideline squirt bottle shower like he just won the state finals. But then you saw the 12 uniformed officers escorting the 14 Gainesville players off the field. And 2 plus 2 started to make 4. They lined the players up in groups of 5, handcuffs ready in their back pockets, and marched them to the team bus. That's because Gainesville is a maximum security prison 75 miles north of Dallas. Every game it plays is on the road. This all started when Faith's head coach, Chris Hogan, wanted to do something for the Gainesville team. Faith has 70 kids, 11 coaches, the latest equipment, and involved parents. Gainesville has a lot of kids with convictions for drugs, assault, and robbery, many of whose families had disowned them, and they were wearing seven-year-old shoulder pads and ancient helmets. So Hogan had this idea. What if half of our fans, for one night only, cheered for the other team? He sent out an email asking the Gainesville faithful to do just that. Here's the message I want you to send, Hogan wrote. You are just as valuable as any other person on planet Earth. Some people were naturally confused. 
One faith player walked into Hogan's office and asked, Coach, why are we doing this? And Hogan said, imagine if you didn't have a home life. Imagine if everybody had pretty much given up on you. Now imagine what it would mean for hundreds of people to suddenly believe in you. It was a strange experience for boys who most people cross the street to avoid. We can tell people are a little afraid of us when we come to, uh, to the games, said Isaiah, a line man who will wind up doing more than three years in prison. You can see it in their eyes. They're looking at us like we're criminals. But these people, they were yelling for us by our names. After the game, both teams gathered in the middle of the field to pray. And that's when Isaiah surprised everybody by asking to lead. We had no idea what the kid was going to say, remembers Coach Hogan. But Isaiah said this, Lord, I don't know how this happened, so I don't know how to say thank you. But I never would have known there were so many people in the world that cared about us. And it was a good thing everybody's heads were bowed because they might have seen Hogan wiping away his tears. People must not only hear about the kingdom of God, but must see it in actual operation. On a small scale, perhaps, and in imperfect form, perhaps, but a real demonstration, nevertheless. You see, this is a kingdom whose values are upside down. Weakness, sacrifice, discomfort, grief and exclusion. And in that way, it's an upside down kingdom that flies in the face of the values of this world which are power, comfort, laughing and gloating, partying and seeking recognition and success where all men speak well of you. These values pay off now. They're for real now. It's why we seek them now. But its product is now. Now you will laugh. Now you will have success. Now you will gloat. Now you will party. Now everyone will speak well of you but then you will weep. But the values of weakness, the values of sacrifice, the values of discomfort, the values of grief and exclusion, these are the values that build character in us that will last for eternity. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, the mark of the kingdom will see a reversal of values where we prize weakness, where we prize sacrifice, where we prize discomfort and grief and exclusion. We see its value in the kingdom of God in the light of eternity. But how do we put this kingdom into practice? Five points as we come into land of how we put the kingdom into practice. We need to seek it, enter it, Pray for it, announce it, and live it. Seek it, enter it, pray for it, announce it, and live it. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and 
its righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. I'm not going to sing the song. There's a great premium in the kingdom of God, you see, to seek in and to ask in. Some people say to me that they're concerned about their son or their spouse or their daughter who hasn't made a commitment yet, but they're there still seeking. That's brilliant. Seeking, asking questions is wonderful. We need to seek after the kingdom with all that we have, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul. There is no better quest no better use of our time. Jesus told the parable of the pearl and the great treasure to illustrate what he meant. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. How are you getting on with seeking the kingdom of God and making that a priority in your life? Secondly, we need to enter it. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God and how we need to enter it. I've seen so many people in my life who've sought God, who've sought after the kingdom, but have never taken that step of entering the kingdom of God, of coming under God's rule in their lives. You know, taking that first step is a bit like the feeling before you put your head under the water in the sea when you go snorkeling for the first time. The the nervousness of, will I still be able to breathe? What will it be like? How do I take that first step of looking into a whole new world? And then when you do, it's like, oh, wow, there's a whole new world here that I just had never discovered, didn't realize that existed. Look at those fish. Look at that coral. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Do you need to take that first step to enter the kingdom of God today and let Jesus rule in your life. Jesus who ushered in the kingdom. Jesus who is the king of the kingdom. Jesus who embodied the values of the kingdom as he gave his own life sacrificially. Jesus who rose again and now is king of my life, king of the universe, and who says to you, enter the kingdom of God today. Let me come and rule in your life. Maybe you feel you've made a mess of your life that you've sought after the values of power and wealth and recognition and party, and they've disappointed. Let Jesus come and turn your values upside down. Who is the king of your life and mine today? Am I king? Am I in charge? Or is Jesus king? Have you become part of the kingdom, or are you running your own regime? When we feel like a child, when we feel poor, when we feel oppressed, Jesus says the kingdom of God is near. But for some of us, we feel rich, we feel in control, we feel like the oppressor sometimes, the trampler of the meek to get our own way. Jesus wants to come and be in charge of our lives today as well. He's asking us to repent to turn around, to believe, to enter the kingdom like a little child. Thirdly, we need to pray for the kingdom to come. 
Jesus taught us how to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As J.I. Packer, the famous theologian, said, When I say, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, I should be adding in my mind the words in and through me. And so giving myself to God afresh to be, so far as I can be, the means of answering my own prayer. And when I say, thy will be done, I should mean this as a prayer that I, along with the rest of God's people, may learn to be obedient. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we be people who pray the kingdom in. And fourthly, uh, Jesus says, announce the kingdom. He tells us to announce the good news that the kingdom of God is near. Luke 9 verse 2. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And Matthew twenty four fourteen. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. And fifthly, we need to live it. And Jesus wants us to live the kingdom rule in our lives day by day as well. He wants us to see his kingdom grow in our own way, in the way that we live it. For the kingdom of God is not here or there, but the kingdom of God is amongst you. Is it somewhere? Okay, we're going to find a video in a minute. When I spoke to one of my friends recently about what I was preaching on, he then said to me, Simon, you need to look at what I've written on my blog. And he'd written this. As I think about the kingdom of God and our work as the church, the question that keeps coming to me is this. What would be different in my world? What would be different in my neighborhood? What would be different in my life if God fully reigned and God's will was completed for all people in all places throughout all times? Here's his crack at it. He chose three things for the world, three things for his neighborhood, and three things for himself. What would be different in the world if the kingdom came? Firstly, everyone would enjoy the privilege of owning their own piece of land or property, and no family would be squeezed into too small a dwelling. Secondly, nations would practice deliberating their problems or misunderstandings of one another over peaceful dinners, sharing their cultures, rather than secretly planning violent takeovers and attacks. Thirdly, no one would practice burning or threatening to burn holy books of any kind, and there would be an unceasing access to the voice of God for all people. What about if God fully reigned in my neighborhood? He says, my homeless friends, Snake, Westwood, Eddie, Heart Attack, and Rudy, and others would find meaningful work and a settled place to call home. Secondly, students at UCLA where he works would ask how their studies would turn into a vocation and then a calling that allowed them to cultivate a healthier, friendly world around them. Thirdly, no one would ever have to lock the doors to their apartments or their cars. And what would be different for him if the life of God, uh, if he lived the life God fully required and God fully reigned in his life? Firstly, I would easily know when to speak up and when to be silent, offering the right word for the right moment to friends and acquaintances. Secondly, I would be able to clearly hear God's voice and would carry out God's desires with delight, no matter what was asked of me, because I wouldn't be afraid of what has been asked of me, or too stubborn not to do it. And thirdly, I would eagerly anticipate each moment as if I had just been born. 
one friend told me heaven is pretty cool because it always feels like you've just arrived. The newness never wears off. But what does that mean? What does the kingdom of God mean? Well, it, it changes the way you look at people who are different. You stop the rich, look at the poor in a different way. The poor look at the rich in a different way. Uh, people look at people of other races and other religions in a different way. You can't look at someone of a different political party the same way and be, be faithful to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God makes you look at creation in a different way. You look at the trees and the sky and the air and the water in a different way. This is now my father's world. It's my father's uh, beautiful artwork that I... It's not just natural resources for me to make a buck off of. If you're taking the kingdom of God seriously, you look at peace and reconciliation and conflict and war in a very different way. Uh, it's easy if you're in the kingdoms of this world to bomb people and kill people and uh, throw them in prison and throw away the key. If you're part of the kingdom of God, you can't treat other people that way. You have to look at it from a new perspective, a new point of view, higher point of view. Jesus said things like, if you give a cup of cold water to somebody in my name, if you see someone who's in prison and you go to visit them, if you see someone who's naked and you give them clothing, if you welcome a little child, you know, in those moments, God's will is being done on earth because God cares about that little child and God cares about that forgotten person in prison. When somebody loves their enemy, they're living by the way of the kingdom. In, on the human level, people see an enemy and they hate them. You love your friends, you hate your enemies. But when people love their enemies, they're manifesting the kingdom of God. When rich people decide that they're not going to use their wealth and power to keep aggrandizing themselves and improving their own portfolio. But when they reach a point, they say, gosh, I have enough. And there are people in such need. Now I'm going to use my money and my time and my energy and my voice and my vote on behalf of people who are suffering and poor and oppressed and forgotten. At that point, I'm not just a citizen of this world. At that point, I'm acting as a citizen of God's kingdom. I'm living out the way and the teaching and the example of Jesus. Those are some of the things, some of the ways the kingdom of God is a liberating and yet disturbing uh, message for people today. Let's stand together. Lord, we're praying for your kingdom to come. We're praying for your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for our values to be turned upside down. We're praying that your kingdom would come in our town, in our city, in our streets, in our home, in this place. Lord, we're crying out to you for no more. No more violence, no more struggle, no more hatred, no more abuse. Lord, may your kingdom come. Lord, may your kingdom come as we seek to enter your kingdom, to pray for it to come, to announce it, and to live it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.